0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News podcast recorded here in Seoul on Monday, May 6, 2019. Today is a public holiday in South Korea, but I have rushed into the NK News studio regardless to record an urgent episode together with NK News founder and boss man Chad O'Carroll, editor in chief Oliver Oliver Hotham, and joining us via Skype, senior analyst Minyong Lee, also a recent podcast guest. Chad, why are we here today? What is the news that greeted me when I awoke late on Saturday morning, Seoul time?
1: Well, on the Saturday morning, Kim went to observe a dam, an electric dam. That's Kim Jong-un, is it? <laughs> yeah. And but, it, but is before, it a good dam? But before well, that, there was also um, some testing, which also occurred. But um, the North Koreans, I find, found it quite interesting, presented news of the, the testing. Uh, they sandwiched it. Uh, with news of him visiting an electric dam as well. This is on the television? Uh, on on uh, Roland Shinman. Okay, so first I'll so- be damned and then I'll be fired. <laughs> Fantastic. What kinds of things were, were tested on Saturday morning? So uh, on Saturday morning we saw a mixture of, uh, quote-unquote tactical weapons test, uh, which included multiple uh, rocket launch systems, MRLS, and uh, there was also at least one, maybe two, um, short-range tactical ballistic missiles tested. And the one which drew quite a lot of international attention was a missile type that was revealed at the February 8th military parade last year in 2018, uh, which uh, looks a lot like a Russian missile called an Ixander. Um, which has a, you know, it, it's a tactical solid fuel short-range missile. Uh, so we had a flurry of tests, and uh, they were the first test event since November's Hwasong 15, N- November 2017's Hwasong 15 intercontinental ballistic missile tests. So the first
0: test of rockets in 18 months.
1: That's correct, wow. Five, over 500 days.
0: That is quite uh, quite something. Now, how many? So you mentioned there are different kinds of of. Uh, Things that were launched
1: or fired. How many different objects were there? Well, we don't know the specific numbers, uh, and they weren't given in the Rodong when I take it. No, but you did see that the photos published in the Rodong shinman showed the uh, multiple rocket launch systems uh, test firing. Quite, you know, there was a lot of uh, projectiles being launched from those things. So um, it's hard to know. They did. They were targeting a, a mini island, mm-hmm. but from the propaganda photos and kim jong-un had a little screen in which there was a camera affixed close to the island and there was a small target uh posted on the island that they they went for with some one of one or several of these devices and it looks by all accounts like they did hit it pretty well
0: I hope it was an uninhabited island.
1: Yes, it looks like um, uh,
2: an uninhabited island. Well, if one. it was, it's not inhabited anymore. Yeah.
0: Now, there was some initial confusion and even some lingering confusion in international media about whether these things were... Well, uh, the word projectile was used, which could either be normal artillery or artillery in the form of RAP, rocket-assisted projectile, or a missile. And obviously, there's an important difference there, but uh, the Blue House didn't seem too quick to uh, want to clear it up. What was the nature of the confusion?
2: Well, the South Koreans initially um, described it as a missile um, before, I think, toning that assessment back after about an hour or so, saying projectiles. And um, I guess there are two possible interpretations. One is the, maybe the more conspiratorial one that the South Koreans wanted to downplay this test. Um, I think the fear would be if Trump sees the headline, North Korea tests missile, he's not really going to think beyond that. Indeed, there were some reports coming out. Um, I think a reporter from Vox was talking about Trump's initial anger with the test. Um, and then the South Koreans um, sort of dialed it back a bit and said projectiles. Um, that might also have been simply because, as we said, the North Koreans tested quite a lot on Saturday. So there was there was the missile and there was what looked like artillery. Um, so the South Koreans may have just been trying to have, give a more general picture of what was going on rather than um, sort of, Fix the message in one way or another.
0: Okay, now how far did these uh, objects, these projectiles, missiles, whatever, how far did they travel?
1: They uh, traveled between 70 to 200 kilometers, according to the Joint Chief of Staff readout uh, that was published on Saturday morning. Although Yonhap News later uh, said it was only up to 100 kilometers, but um, I'd go with the JCS uh, Korean language statement, which... Our colleague Dag Yum kindly translated for us. 70 to 200, 200 kilometres. 200, okay, that's quite a range. Now,
0: were they launched
1: from a place that's been used before? Yeah, the place they were launched from uh, is near Wonsan. Okay, but it's not the Kalma Peninsula where they're building, <laughs> building the, the holiday resort. No, um, it's a small peninsula just north of that, and uh, it's been used. I think for at least eight or nine test events uh, as long as far back as we've been tracking, mm-hmm. most of those events have been with Hwasong-11 uh, short-range ballistic missiles. Um, and there was one test of a Musudan-class missile back in 2016, which failed. But it, yeah, it's a, it's a place that's used regularly for um, test fire drills, artillery things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Martin Williams, who uh, some of you all know from North Korea Tech, he posted on Twitter a great photo captured by Planet Lab satellite imagery, oh. uh, which the satellite must have been going over the test launch site just as one of the missiles fired off. Oh. And in the satellite imagery of the peninsula, you can just see this plume of white smoke oh. shooting out across the satellite image tile, uh, which was... Yeah, you know, huge coincidence, but amazing, amazing photo.
0: So these are uh, mobile rocket launchers, are they, or mobile uh, missile launchers? Yeah, they're, they're
1: all they're all on um, wheels, right. so they they can be manoeuvred anywhere, basically. Okay, so
0: these are not the things that come out of caves and tunnels and then retract into them. These are things that are yeah, completely mobile, as far as we know.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Uh,
0: now this launch, this test. Was this in breach of any international or inter-Korean agreement or uh, United Nations Security Council resolutions, as far as we know?
1: Well, all, all of the UN Security Council resolutions call on North Korea to uh, dismantle its ballistic missile programs and not test ballistic missiles. So the Ixander style missile would would logically constitute a breach of that. Mm-hmm. And then the inter-Korean Joint declaration states that there should be no hostile acts at land, sea, and air, which uh, could be a source of aggression. Now, some someone in a, a former military person in South Korea told me they didn't actually view this as a breach of that um, because I guess the key word is hostile, right? right. And how do you define hostile? It's a, That's obviously open to a huge range of interpretations and i think the problem is that the north koreans stated the week before that they viewed us ROK air drills air exercises training exercises as hostile therefore there would be a corresponding response so maybe
0: a retaliation for that yeah
2: well also crucially the south korean presidential office came out on saturday and said it was a violation of the inter-korean military agreement so, so who said that? The South Korean presidential office. Presidential office, um, okay. Came out and actually actually responded quite, um, in quite a hard-line way mm-hmm. uh, to the test, saying, you know, we urge North Korea not to escalate tensions and this violates our agreement. Um, but then, then as Chad said, um, the North Koreans have been saying for weeks that these drills um, also violate them. I think the, the phrasing of the military agreement is actually much stronger on drills than missile tests because the military agreement actually says that the two sides shall not conduct... Um, provocative military exercises within that certain part of the um, of the
0: DMZ ah within the DMZ okay and or DMZ uh, and did the uh, the drills on the South Korean side enter the DMZ
2: they did not uh, as far as I know but um, I think the North Koreans have used a slightly more flexible interpretation of that language I see
0: uh, over to uh, Minyong via Skype in a secure location well south of Seoul, far out of reach of North Korean artillery shells. Uh, please tell us a bit more about what North Korean media, uh, both uh, in print and on television, has said about this launch.
3: Yeah, so um, North Korea's uh, daily and um, TV uh, characterized Kim Jong-un's, well, uh, launch, these launches as uh, forward and eastern forward uh, Forward Defense Unit's power strike training uh, to test large caliber, long-range artillery and tactical guided weapons. And uh, they characterized um, this as Kim Jong-un guiding, um, guiding this this testing. And uh, Rodong Shin-moon, as you know, uh, carried uh, some images of um, Kim Jong-un um, overseeing the testing and um, shots of um, actual shots of the weapons uh, being fired, um, and TV carried some more images that were not carried um, by by the newspaper.
0: What was the uh, the tone of the reporting? Did it come with any uh, criticism or warnings against the South or the United States?
3: That's a very good question, Jacko. Um, one thing that I was going to mention is uh, that the tone um, was very subdued um, compared to past reporting. Um, on North Korea's rocket launches um, that you saw in 2016-2017. For example, there were no references um, to the enemies, um, no references to South Korea or the U.S. The report simply said um, that the North should be prepared um, for um, any... Um, any um, the forces. Um, they referred to... Um, You know, potential enemies as forces, which was um, toned down um, compared to past reporting from the from sixteen and seventeen.
2: Crucially, there was also a reference at the end of the KCNA report to Kim Jong Un sort of saying that, "Oh well, if we're going to secure peace, we have to be a strong nation as well." So he was saying that kind of like a peace through strength type of line, which I hadn't seen at least in two thousand seventeen. We never saw that type of language in missile tests it was much more about destroying the americans
1: should they even step one millimeter
2: into our territory
1: and i I have a question min young what because i was kind of joking at the start about this whole page two of rodong shinman yesterday but in all seriousness what have you ever seen that before where they present news of a a launch slash test event and in the mid in the middle of the reporting throw in a separate feature about kim jong-un visiting a power station? Because it seemed very odd that... Uh,
3: I think it had... What they were trying to do is... Okay, so Kim Jong-un on the same day makes two appearances, right? One military and one econ. And um, they chose to put the military story on the front. And because um, that report carried a lot of images, they couldn't fit that onto one page. And so that had to be carried over to page two. But at the same time... They did that um, towards the well, the the towards the bottom of page two, and instead decided to uh, put the econ story on the top half of page two because that was um, an important story. Basically, um, they put the whatever they weren't able to finish on page one to the um put that to, um on the bottom half of page two, um because that was more of a carryover. if if that makes
1: sense yeah because on on twitter um this account called cold noodle fan who we suspect as either being in north korea or working on behalf of the north koreans was very quick to point out quote with the hashtag fake news Mm -hmm. oh everybody's just focusing on the 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 launch event but this is this was a big day for econ news kim jong-un visited a power plant but no one's reporting that fake news hashtag and i found it interesting that that Rodong seemed to be doing the same thing in a way and presenting that high on page two. And then this this, uh, Twitter account was drawing attention to that in particular. Um,
3: So I think that most important thing here uh, in terms of the placement of the two stories is that North Korea decided to feature the military appearance on the front page when they could have featured the econ story on the first page right yeah so i think that's the most important um bottom line here in terms of placement and as i said i think it made sense for them to put the leftover part of the military story um on the bottom half of page two because that again was a carryover and
1: it's also interesting that they decided to run photos of the tests when the last two ultra-modern tactical weapons tests from I believe it was November and two or three weeks ago, they ran no photos of those whatsoever. And we thought that may become a new norm where they, they try and cloak these tests in ambiguity. So
3: so I think this speaks to a buildup um, of pressure on North Korea's part um, where, you know, in November, the November coverage of Kim Jong-un is guiding a test um, of a newly developed state-of-the-art tactical weapon. Um, that carried some images, but I don't believe they actually carried um, images of weapons. I think they carried uh, some images of Kim Jong-un talking to officials um, at the site of the test. And then um, Kim Jong-un's guiding of another test, a weapon test, a few weeks ago in April, um, that came with no photos at all in the newspaper or um, on TV. But, um, you know, we have to take note of the reappearance of some officials that are associated with North Korea's munitions industry, and also the formulations like weapon system development and munitions production that we had not seen since 2017.
0: So, who was with him at the uh, the dam, and who was with him at the launch site on Saturday?
3: Uh, so, at the testing site, um, Kim Jong Un was with um, some party department director um, directors and Lee Byung Chul, um, who is known to have close ties uh, to the munitions industry. Um, as well as um yong who's the first um, vice director um, of the organization and the guidance department. Um, and also interesting was the appearance of Pak Jong-chun, um, who is the director of the Artillery Bureau mm-hmm. of the KPA.
0: Okay, and what, did these same people go with him to the dam or was it different people at
3: the dam? No, it was different. Well, some people, there was some overlap, mm-hmm. but um, not all of them. So the two party department directors... Uh, went with Kim Jong Un uh, to the to the dam, right? Um, but the military officials were not around um, for the dam visit.
0: Now, on the uh, on the television, on the Korean Central Television, uh, our friend Mrs. Rhee, the uh, she of the the pink hanbok, um, when she told the uh, the news, did she get very excited and congratulatory, as her tone often tends to be when there's a successful launch?
3: Yes. Yeah, so uh, one thing that was notable. Um, as you mentioned is that Lee and hee uh, read the report, which she doesn't always do um so I think that was um one effort on the part of the North Korean government to um play up this event and she spoke in very um excited um tone hmm. um if you will um um throughout as she was narrating the story
0: okay uh, let's uh, talk about the uh, sort of the uh, responses to this so uh, president trump i think uh, Oliver, you said according to a Vox report he was angry. He was uh, he felt uh, personally betrayed by this.
2: Well, this was based on a Vox reporter discussing some um, anonymous sources claimed that Trump's initial reaction was one of um, anger. I think the line was Trump believes Kim Jong Un has effed him over. Mm. Um, but I think as the day progressed, um, I think Trump was maybe learned a little bit more about the test. Um, I think some of his advisers maybe talked him down from sending off an angry tweet right away. And then. Uh, I
0: think the, the report specifically said don't tweet until you talk to President Moon yes. of South Korea first. Um, I Do we know that he did?
2: I don't think he did. Oh. Um, but I think we know that there was a conversation between Foreign Minister Kang uh-huh. and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh-huh. Um, as well as one between Began and some South Korean officials. Ah. Um, They reportedly said the two sides uh, agreed, Kang and Pompeo, to respond to this with caution, um, to understand it for what it was. And then Trump later in the day tweeted um, something, in fact, very positive about Kim Jong-un. He said that anything in this interesting world is possible, but I believe that Kim Jong-un fully realizes the great economic potential of North Korea and will do nothing to interfere or end it. He also knows that I am with him and he does not want to break his promise to me deal will happen um
0: wow that is actually very upbeat
2: from uh, from good old president trump there it's very upbeat and it's very far away from little rocket man so uh, very much i think so. there's reason to believe that trump um yeah was maybe talked down a little bit or mm. um his advisors said look um pompeo came out yesterday and said this um he was speaking to abc and fox news saying that um well actually we don't consider this missile test to have been a break on this moratorium Ah. because it wasn't an ICBM and it didn't threaten the United States, Um, which possibly might upset South Korea and Japan a little bit if the uh, Americans seem to be judging North Korean missile tests now based on how much they're able to threaten (laughs) the homeland. Right. Um, But it's certainly interesting that there was, while this was, it appears to have been this initial angry reaction from the Americans, the Americans have realized that actually this isn't really worth kicking up too much of a fuss about.
0: Uh, you mentioned that the uh, the office of the presidency of South Korea issued a strong statement that it was in, uh, in contravention of the uh, inter-Korean military agreements struck last year. Did President Moon himself say anything personally? Um, not as far as I know, no. Uh, any response from Japan?
2: Uh, Japan said it was monitoring the situation. It's tricky um, because... Shinzo Abe, last week, mm. again, expressed his desire to meet Kim Jong-un. Without, without preconditions. Without preconditions. Yeah. And the Japanese statement, um, you know, Japanese st- responses to this are typically quite um, hardline. The Japanese right. said, we're keeping an eye on it. We urge North Korea not to make any more provocations. Mm. But then again, you know, the last time North Korea tested a missile, um, I think the second to last time it tested a missile, it flew over Japan. Flew over so Japan. perhaps well, there was, was some relief in Tokyo, that it didn't uh, didn't, it didn't do that again.
0: No, I can't help, uh, as a uh, long-time resident of South Korea, but feel that we have seen this movie before. Uh, are we back to crisis creation by North Korea again?
1: Uh, or is this something that can and should be ignored? I think it's um, the start of a potential escalation ladder, um, but which has several uh, off-ramps, clearly marked for diplomacy to resume i think this is still early days it's surprised me somewhat that it, the north koreans have, have have done this so soon um but i, I think the the message is very clear if donald trump administration walks away from talks this is what can be expected and this is the trajectory um it's going to you know it's going to get more and more significant in terms of frequency and uh, distance of missile tests. Um, And the the suggestion is that if you want to conduct talks with us that are in any way different from the step-by-step process that we are always talking about and offering as the way forward, then, you know, you, you can expect this. Uh, the, the thing that's surprising a lot i did a presentation last week where i was talking about the sort of where things may go from as they were last week and i wasn't expecting the testing of 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 at least short-range ballistic missiles until much later in the year uh, you know maybe the mr multiple rocket launch systems you know fair enough uh, artillery tests fair enough those things i, I was sort of expecting sooner but I do think it's interesting that they've they've gone ahead with the, the ballistic missile part of this. Minyoung, are you feeling a sense of deja vu about all this?
3: So I think this is something that North Korea has done before, where you know the talks don't go their way, or if they're they feel like the stalemate is pro as <clears throat> is becoming a bit longer than expected, then you know they step up the pressure. And I I pretty much agree with um, Chad's assessment. I. I think we've seen some signs of um, North Korea trying to build a pressure on their end. Um, there certainly have been signs um, since at least February, where Kim Jong-un's military appearances have increased. Um, the party personnel shuffles in April, um, promoting uh, uh, several uh, munitions industry-related people to the Central Military Commission. And then you had um, a series of reactions from the foreign ministry officials, including Choi Son um, just reacting very quickly to U.S. officials' um, interviews um, with the media. Um, so I, I did get a sense that there was something coming down the pike, but I, as Chad mentioned, um, I, I didn't agree. I, I mean, I didn't expect this to come so soon. Um, and I expect North Korea to be engaging in this type of activity um, to the extent that they don't, um, you know, go back on Kim Jong-un's promise made in April 2018 um, where he said that he's not going to be testing nuclear weapons or testing ICBMs. Um, To the extent that he's not doing that, I think North Korea will be doing more of this um, in the future.
0: Now, uh, April. going back to April for a second, on April 17th, there was a test of another uh, uh, tactical guided weapon. How does that fit in with this, Chad?
1: Well, that seems to have just been an anti-tank system, from from what we've gathered, being leaked from, or mentioned from U.S. F.K. sources. Um, so I think it was just like a small indicator that uh, things, if uh, if they're left in the status quo, could result in this escalation of of uh, tests. Um, but yeah, it, it, that was a relatively small event.
3: I think North Korea is afraid at this point um, of being forgotten by the U.S. I think they're afraid that the U.S. is starting to lose interest in uh, in the talks with the North Koreans. Um, and also the other thing to remember, too, is that um, the U.S. presidential election is, um, season is coming down the pike. Right. And I think from Kim Jong-un's perspective, if he started launching rockets or missiles or projectiles, however you want to characterize them, that that would build pressure um, on Washington to come back to the top.
0: So it's more a call for attention than a middle finger being stuck up at uh, Trump.
3: I think it's more of a pressure tactic. I don't think this is this signals a fundamental shift in Kim Jong-un's policy towards um, his willingness to talk with the, with the Americans. I think he still is very much interested. And I don't think, again, I don't think he's going to do anything beyond what he's doing now um, until at least, well, until the year is up, because he did promise, that he's going to
1: wait for Trump. Right. question is, though, is this a sign that maybe the gas is running low in the tank, if you will, in North Korea, that the sanctions are starting to build more and more pressure and that the ability of Kim Jong-un to maintain stable exchange rates, food prices and so on is is, uh, limited? In other words, that the, the state savings may be running very low and that's adding extra urgency for the need to resume talks in order to gain sanctions relief.
0: Yeah, that's a, uh, a good question, one we don't have an easy answer to. Uh,
1: Min Young, have you uncovered any, uh, or
0: unearthed anything else interesting in North Korea state media lately?
3: Uh, I, there's continued emphasis on the economy, um, despite the latest um, edition of Rolong Shung-moon that carried the military uh, report before the Econ report, um, I, I did come across something interesting last week. Um, on April 30th, Ngo Moon carried a very upbeat article on seed sowing um, being completed across um, all provinces. Um, the language was very positive, And this comes amid uh, the latest UN report, I believe, or FAO report about um, dire food shortages or acute shortages, if you will, in the country.
2: And there was also, yeah. sorry, yeah, there was also a reference over the weekend in this power plant article to Kim Jong Un complaining about the water supply, which is something that he talked about, I think, in the New Year's speech, again saying that there are parts of the country where there isn't enough water, and kind of commending this power station for doing its doing its best to resolve that issue, but still more of these underlying hints that something might be uh, something might be going wrong.
0: The uh, the seeds that you mentioned that were sown across the nation, uh, Minyoung, is this presumably only rice, or are there other crops mentioned well, as well
3: I'm, I'm talking about rice specifically because this is a rice um, rice um, farming season
0: this is the season okay right. all right uh, uh chad let's uh discuss some of the uh, biggest stories that nk news and nk pro have focused their attention on in the month of april the uh the month in review just came out uh what yesterday the day before yesterday friday yeah uh friday and as Yong mentioned uh the un world food program we know they made a uh Uh, a public plea uh, and and said that uh, the situation is quite dire. There was an interview with David Beasley, executive director of the UN World Food Programme in an April uh, 3rd Guardian newspaper. Uh, How
1: urgent could things be? Yeah, so the food situation, on the one hand, we have these indicators like the needs assessment that the UN system just recently put out from North Korea, which suggests there's like a very grave crisis that's brewing, major shortages... Uh, as Min Young said, there's not been much, however, in state media that reflects that pending crisis. Um, then, going back to the crisis narrative, we've somehow been able to get hold of a leaked document in Korean designed for one of North Korea's overseas embassies, mm. ostensibly from Pyongyang, describing um, the brewing problems and the fact that embassies should sort of play a role in helping uh gain aid to sort of fill the potential shortfall which which we found kind of strange that those kind of things are get making it out into the open source because yeah. those documents I've never once seen one of those in my life um and I can't help but wonder is this being you know st- strategically placed mm. for foreign journalists to obtain to to sort of unders- to, to add a organic vector point that underscores this growing need um, but then again, on the counter narrative, when you look at food prices in North Korea, we looked at the Daily NK pricing the other day on corn, pork, and rice, and uh, the prices were mostly at lo- the, the lowest they've ever been. If you look, look back at April price points from uh, 2016 through to 2019, so it does. It, it, it's 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 a real strange combination of of information points uh which give a very blurred picture and again my only explanation that makes any sense of this is that the government in north korea is aware of mounting pressures of sanctions and has growing in growing anticipation that it's going to be incapable of balancing the books and keeping things stable when those uh friction points from the sanctions mount further in the short to medium term. So they may be anticipating these problems and are creating a sense of alarm amongst donors who may be able to help fill those shortfalls um, for when sanctions pressure emerges.
0: So what has been the uh, response of the international donor community so far, as far as we can see?
1: Well, the Russians announced the Russians a- have
2: sent some, you know. We've still, um, Foreign Minister Kang last week was talking about this eight million dollars of South Korean aid that's supposed to go to the north, it's been in the works for about two years. Hmm. She's trying to move that along, but apparently, there's not much interest.
1: Um, and in this to week, facilitate that. This week, Steve Began is coming to, um, yeah. U.S. special envoy on North Korea issues is coming to Seoul, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be a topic of conversation. Yeah, whether the U.S. will be sort of give its tacit support for South Korea to distribute aid, but following a missile test, I think that's going to be a tough sell for the South Koreans.
3: My my feeling um, from sort of South Korean government's reaction to the latest UN report on the North Korean food situation, I think the uh, the Blue House actually or the Unification Ministry came out with a reaction last Friday um, saying that it wants humanitarian aid um, to North Korea is, is, is necessary. And I thought that was very forward-leaning on the part of the South Korean government, like, you know, the, the timely reaction um, um, on their end. Um, and I, I, I my, my initial reaction was maybe they're trying to, you know, play it up, you know, play up the food shortage in North Korea um, to you know, maybe to entice the North Koreans back to the dialogue table.
0: Uh, moving on to, Chad, your section on the economy uh, in the month in review that was subtitled, Data Shows Stability, Efforts to bolster, bolster Investment and Some Tourism Growth. What kind of data are we looking at that is uh, that shows stability in the economy and what's the source for the data?
1: Yeah, so that's just the one I mentioned, actually, the Daily NK's data. Uh, data which they collect from three different cities they collect um in addition to those food items i mentioned they also do exchange rates on us dollar chinese renminbi and they also do gasoline and diesel prices and uh yeah they're, they're, they're all kind of there's like a lot either stability or downward trends when you look at the data points they've collected this year now we also collect data at NK Pro. For exchange, all four exchange rates. Uh, for those that don't follow this, that's Japanese yen, Chinese renminbi, US dollar, and euro on North Korean won at both official and unofficial rates. And we also collect uh, petrol and diesel. And again, yeah, we're seeing stability in those indicators too. So that that's where those data points or data, as you say, <laughs> come from.
0: now uh, how is it that? Um... You know, In the midst of uh, you know, a possibly a nearing crisis and under choking sanctions, how is it that data remains uh, stable?
1: Well, the explanations depend on who you speak to. Some people say, for example, that this is quite clear evidence that China must be providing a lot of assistance under the table, um, fuel certainly, or heavy oil uh, through the pipeline up at Dandong, um, and food aid potentially as well. Others say that this is just because the economy is so marketized now that it means that um, there is little role for the public distribution system and therefore um, people's own finances and vendor capabilities keep things working in in relatively stable fashion does China ever say anything publicly about the North Korean economy?
2: No I mean we've we had um, I've had Peter Ward crunching the numbers. Um, this week and he can, he's he's come up with a bunch of charts that show that essentially there is very little correlation between the harvest reports and the prices so price volatility is completely seemingly independent huh. um of that which does suggest broader marketization it also suggests that the north korean government might be fudging the numbers a little bit
1: and this is one thing to to bear in mind is that un needs assessment that came out is largely based on data that's been provided by the dprk's bureau of central statistics Ah. and uh, the un does play a role in in advising i think on how that data is collected but a lot of it from places like jagang province Mm. where foreigners rarely go you're kind of trusting the north koreans and this is why some countries don't trust the un system as a vector for distributing food aid mm. and do things themselves on the ground in the country the swiss sdc comes to mind in that regard they they, they donate their assistance on a bilateral basis um and i think it, for good reason to an extent because you are trusting the north koreans otherwise uh which obviously opens the potential for political posturing or influence on data
0: Oliver, these charts that you mentioned, our uh, favourite number cruncher Peter Ward put together, can they be found at NK Pro? Oh, they will be soon. Oh, great! This is a, an article you're putting together. Uh, Peter is putting it together. Ah, fantastic! All right, look out for that, NK Pro
1: subscribers. Now, what kind of investment is North Korea looking to attract? I noticed this month. I mean that these things have been occurring now for several months, but they seem to be aware that they have a bit of a credib- credibility problem. So they sent, uh, according to China's Global Times, they the North Koreans dispatched a team of lawyers to Beijing to give briefings in a kind of Chinese business forum about uh, arbitration law and about how much, you know, how North Korea is actually a very safe place to invest and there's rule of law and your investments will be safe, things mm-hmm. like that. So they did that. And in addition to that, uh, more of these tenders emerging uh, interest in joint venture partners, even though that's all illegal. Under illegal UN under sanctions. UN sanctions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we, it's just been a growing trend, and I've been seeing this every month that, that new tenders emerge and new efforts to try and underscore that there is law and proper systems and corruption isn't really an issue
0: which we uh, yeah we, uh, discussed on a recent podcast with my colleague mike Hay. now uh, what else do we uh, or, well you mentioned also that tourism is growing in what sectors is it growing chad is it uh, mainly chinese tourism western tourism yeah again, uh, event
1: tourism it's a uh, lot you know the yangakdo just got a refurbishment uh, of its lobby uh, it's not an indicator by itself but it suggests that you know they're they're confident that that place is going to be used for a long time the chinese tourist numbers we we keep hearing reports that those uh, numbers are high i was at the joint security area the other day mm. and this is one of the bottlenecks for for tourism at the moment because on the north korean side i've heard anecdotally or get a thousand chinese arriving in a day so i asked the jsa folks on the southern side if they recognize that and they said yes we, we've seen you know um very large numbers of chinese coming and uh, they're usually quite obvious from the, the fashion right. being quite different to the korean north korean style
2: we also had a very the pyongyang marathon was last well you were there jacko yeah um Apparently very successful compared to 2018 as well. Um, we might just be seeing also
0: just the numbers bounce back from that big dip. Yeah, I just thought 2018 was a dip in that I was there in 2017 and the numbers this time in 2019 look very similar to me. Yeah. I'm not a good number counter, but just you know, look similar in terms of crowd size to the 2017 numbers.
1: But I was with a diplomat the other day who's based in Pyongyang and he he told me that his understanding is that the Chinese may have some ability to artificially stimulate tourism oh. to North Korea he said that a lot of these groups are um, pensioners uh, very old mm. uh, Chinese who are given apparently I guess some kind of discount or financial uh, saving or incentive to go on tours specifically to North Korea and it's all it's because it's an easy country to get to it's politically very safe mm. um, and it's relatively cheap for Chinese tourists. Now,
0: um, another interesting story that we've kept an eye on here for the last month or two is what I like to call the Madrid Caper. And this is, uh, uh, in April, we had some more arrests and information about suspects in the uh, DPRK embassy raid that took place in Madrid just days before the February Hanoi summit. What do we know about it so far? Who can give us a a quick summary? Well,
2: so we've got um, Mr. the two Americans, um, well... American residents that have been directly named. There's Mr. Adrian Hong, Mm -hmm. um, who's kind of portrayed as the ringleader, the kind of intellectual, ideological um, head of the Free Charleston group. He uh, is now a fugitive from the law. The U.S. Marshals Service last week Mm. put out a poster with his face on it, um, said that he was um, armed and dangerous dangerous on the run. um, And his, I guess, accomplice, the Braun, Behind the operation is Mr. Christopher Arn, mm. um, a former U.S. Marine um, who f- formerly ran detention facilities in Fallujah, Iraq. So definitely not someone you want to um, cross. Yeah, he, wasn't
0: he sort of post Abu Ghraib, Abu Ghraib, or something like that?
2: Post Abu Ghraib, Abu Ghraib. Um, he's uh, now in detention in uh, California. They've determined him to be a flight risk, um, so he's not allowed to um, he's not allowed to see the light of day while his extradition hearings are going on. And then we have um, the other suspects, are a group of South Koreans. Um, not much information on them so far. There's nothing uh, from the South Korean government, as far as I can see. Um, I think the understanding is that they're also in the United States, but um, haven't seen anything from the Americans on that. Some more revelations we've seen from the American side about um, the level of force that was used um, by the infiltrators, I guess you could say, of the DPRK MC in Madrid. Um, It was the wife and children of one of the diplomats was restrained. Um, The Spanish also put out a shopping list of what Adrian Hong was buying in Madrid on the day. Mm. You know, fake guns, handcuffs, that type of thing.
0: What was the name that Adrian Hong used when he called the Uber car away from the uh, DPRK embassy in Madrid? It was Oswaldo Trump. Oswaldo Trump. Which is quite something, yeah. Interesting name combination. Uh, Min Young, has the North Korean state media said anything at all about this embarrassing breach of security?
3: Uh, yes, on 31 um, of March, uh, there was a relatively low level foreign ministry pronouncement um, in the form of uh, spokesman's answer to KCNA um, on the raid on the North Korean um, embassy in, in, in Spain. Um, it was a short article and it was notably um, this was not carried by domestic media. so this was only for international audiences. Um, So I think the regime wanted to acknowledge um, the seriousness of this uh, incident, but because of um, the sensitive nature of this topic, uh, they withheld it from the domestic public. Uh, public.
0: Gosh, well that does explain why my guide showed no knowledge of it when I mentioned it to him uh, a month ago. Uh, interesting. Now, Chad, uh, American journalist Tim Shorrock wrote a long-form article in the last few days in which he speculated that the CIA may or may not have been involved partly on the basis of who the lawyer is acting as spokesperson for the Free and Group, Lee Woloski, who has served under the last three US presidents in significant national security positions and to whom President Obama gave the title ambassador. So what do you make of that article and and Mr Woloski's role and the question of who
1: might be paying him? Well, I don't think we can jump to any conclusions based on uh, suspicions of who someone may be working for based on things like that. I mean, I did read Mr. Sharrock's article. Um, the headline of it was a question. To be honest, I think if you're a reporter, you shouldn't ask. A, you, you should seek to answer a question very firmly in your article. In other words, an investigation should say, "This is the case. This is the evidence." Not present it as a question with uh, indicators which can lead to some commentators to speculate one one way or another.
3: Well, in
2: Mr. Sharrock's defense. Reporters don't always write the headlines. but um, that's,
1: that's true, but the, the article did not answer that question. Ah.
2: I mean, we'd personally heard um, when we started reporting on this story that there were some members of the Free and Group had meetings yep. um, with representatives of the U.S. intelligence ahead of the uh, the embassy break-in. But as far as I can tell, that's probably the most compelling link that I've seen at least.
1: Right. And but the, the key thing is, like, when there's a, a contact, let's say, between CIA personnel in Spain and yep. two individuals from this group, now that that contact, if the Spanish are confident about it, which they seem to be based on what we've been hearing on the grapevine, I guess the question is, what was that contact about? That could have been a CIA concern with intercepting messages that this action was on the table and being prepared and them attempting to say guys hold your horses right you know it could be something benign like that mm-hmm. it could again it I, it could also be something much more serious we don't we yeah. just don't know but it I, also
2: may maybe link you know we we had reporting from um uh, a longtime reporter that we've worked with in Japan who reported that Adrian Hong had been to Tokyo in the weeks running up to um, the break-in in which he was talking to some Japanese uh, defense officials about securing um, help for Mr. Kim Han Sol obviously the son of Kim Jong-un's half-brother Kim Jong-nam um, and may have been potentially related to that. As far as we know Kim Han Sol is under custody either in the United States or uh, somewhere in Europe so it's kind of unclear what the uh what that meeting was about given that he is believed to be safe but Mm. the meeting could have been related to that as well
0: so it remains an open question and a story to keep watching uh how how are things going at the inter-korean liaison office uh
1: no director level meetings now for nine or ten weeks well Uh, it
2: seems i'm not sure what they would be talking about because nothing inter-korean is going on as long as this stalemate between the u.s and dprk continues i there's not much really they can achieve um
1: just to flip the, the script a little bit while I, while we've been discussing this I just got a uh, notification on my phone about something China related which I think we should ah. maybe talk about very quickly it's something we should watch overnight you'll see you, the China US trade tariff negotiations mm. have taken a turn for the worse in the last 12 hours or so and Trump tweeted overnight that he's going to announce 20 you know 25 percent or something like that new tariffs because of the slow progress of uh, U.S.-China negotiations. And apparently the Chinese vice premier is cancelling a trip to the U.S. as a result. Mm. Now, um, how does that impact North Korea uh, issues? China is a key part of the sanctions implementation uh, regime. And we we were having this question as to whether Xi Jinping may be visiting north korea soon he's meant to visit south korea as i understand it sometime relatively soon so it would be logical that you could swing in a trip hmm. to uh north korea on the way here but i heard it be said the other day that that would only be likely if there was a satisfactory outcome on the u.s dprk right uh, sorry u.s um prc trade talks but and that we- now seems to be thrown completely off so
0: Right, with Trump threatening to throw a twenty-five percent tariff on two hundred billion dollars worth of Chinese goods.
1: Yeah, and if if that relationship doesn't get resolved, um, you know, I I think it it potentially gives Kim Jong Un a a bit more latitude with things like these tests we've been discussing. And yeah, just just wanted to throw it out there because I think it's important to watch that in the in coming coming week or two.
0: Good, that is definitely something to watch. Uh, Minyong, what are you watching uh, in the next month? Are there any important dates coming up on the North Korean calendar? We've just had May Day. What's next?
3: Uh, I think for May Day, that really was the more, most significant event <laughs> in North Korea. Uh, May, May is a relatively slow month in North Korea. Um, in June, of course, the anti-U.S. struggle month begins, uh, June 25th.
0: And the uh, the commemoration of the June 15th signing of the inter-Korean Gosh, what, what was the name of that document there in English? What do we call that? The uh, Whatever whatever it was, Kim Dae-jung and Kim Jong-il signed in 2000, but June yeah. 15th, and they've got those.
3: I think it's just called the June 15th uh, Joint Declaration. Joint Declaration. By the North Koreans. Right, mm-hmm. and
0: there's always a group in South Korea who wants to commemorate that together with the North Koreans in North Korea, and we'll see right. whether President Moon sends somebody up for that this year. Yeah.
3: But I, but I think um, we're going to see something very one-sided just like uh, with the first anniversary of the Pum and Jum Declaration.
1: Right. That must be depressing for President Moon. It, 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 it's got to be. Well, I
0: saw it. Did you see the story in the other day? I don't know if it was a tabloid story or what, but he's apparently lost a large number of teeth, uh, <laughs> President Moon, um, in, in his year and a half as president. I, he must be grinding his teeth at night or something, but apparently he lost a bit of dental work uh, just through all the stress. Did you see that, Mignon?
3: Uh, I didn't see that story, but it's not surprising to me. I hear that um, Blue House officials all um, very oftentimes they uh, lose their teeth Good because of fatigue and stress.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I I do not envy President Moon his position right now. I would not want to be where he is. Uh, Twenty one. No. <laughs> all right. Well, on, I'm just, on go on, Minyoung.
3: Yeah, I was just going to mention. I'm just seeing a, a news report um, saying that no- Moon Jae-in's um, approval ratings are now, have have risen, and they're now um, very close to 50%. uh, 49.1%, the highest in nine weeks.
0: That's right, because I remember uh, in the last couple of months, his uh, disapproval rating finally overtook his approval rating, which was on the way down. So uh, uh, it would be interesting. If if that's the case, then the numbers may have reversed themselves again. All right, well, on that uh, very, very slightly hopeful note for President Moon... (laughs) Uh, yes. That's where we will end today's episode. Uh, thank you all for coming on the show today. Chatter Carroll, Oliver Hotham, and Min Young Lee. Thanks. Thank See you again next time.
3: Thank
0: you. Listeners, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss any episodes and share it with your friends and colleagues. And go to nknews.org and buy yourself a subscription. And you can save $50 off your subscription by using the code PODCAST at the checkout. Thanks, and listen again next time.